Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best Value Registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. And if we will begin and make the commitment to praise God first before we bring our circumstances, we, we are to cast our cares on Him. The Bible tells us to do that. But when we start with praise, and we start by exalting God, it is like the truth about God becomes a filter for our circumstances. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. Many of us live with anticipation, but also great anxiety about what the future might bring. So we work hard to stay one step ahead of our worst case scenarios. And while we're focused on arranging a secure tomorrow, our fear strangles the peace, the joy, and the purpose of today. If you're ready to put fear in its place, then this episode is for you. My friend Katie McCown is an author, speaker, and the president of She Laughs Ministries. Katie understands fear, and she's learned so much about how to put it in its place. And that's why I asked her to join us today. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, Katie. Hi, Jill. Thank you for having me. It's so great to be here today. Absolutely. So, Katie, uh, you have six kids. That's that's a lot of fear right there. (laughs) It is. And it's so funny because I forget um, how startling that number can be. Until you say it and you're sitting in front of someone and you see this blank look. My my sister calls it processing. They're processing what you just told them, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But you know, I mean, we worry so much as moms, right? And so that worry is like multiplied by the number of children we have. I think that that is true. I mean, I, you know, I, I think we worry equally with two children as, you know, as we do with six, but you just have more, you, you, like you said, Mm -hmm. it's multiplied. You have that many more hearts to worry about futures, to worry about choices, to worry. Yes. Yes. All of those things. And that's exactly what I was talking about is you're right. I mean, I think we all, no matter how many kids we have, we all worry uh, about the same things. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so tell us just a little bit about your family. Where do you guys live? And one of the things also I want you to share is you and your husband, Luke, spent many years in the NFL world where Luke was an NFL quarterback for a lot of years. And it was during that time that you really kind of learned to live sure, even when the future wasn't sure. And I love that. 
So can you make sure and share just a little bit about that time and what that taught you about fear? Yes. So I am married to Luke. We've been married 17 years this year. And we still have to count it on our fingers. Somehow we cannot figure, we can't just know that number. So, but we did count it recently, 17 years this year. And we do have our six children. And of our 17 years of marriage, 13 of those were spent in the NFL, where Luke played uh, primarily as a backup quarterback. We finished uh, his career in New Orleans, where he backed up Drew Brees. And that was one of, if no, probably his absolute favorite team to be a part of. And I think that the thing that if we had to pick one word to describe that entire 13 year career, it, it would be uncertainty. And we, we didn't expect that. That was not at all what we stepped in as newlyweds to the NFL. We did not expect it to be so uncertain, but we did count it at one point in the 13 years that he was in the NFL. We moved a dozen times. We lived in 12 different houses, five different States, Our six children were born in four different states. Yes, four different states. And so um, I don't even remember the names of the doctors that delivered some of my children because we were there for such a short amount of time. And it was really just very basic, like, I need someone to deliver this baby, please. And so we grew accustomed to not knowing what the next month would hold, what the next step would be. And that was like I said before, very different than what we imagined. I, I don't know if it's just me, but I think as humans, we we like to plan. We like to have a plan. We like to have some idea of what the future may hold. Yes. And mm-hmm. it, it did not take us long to realize we don't know anything about wh- how long we'll be, where we are, and when we'll move, and what that will look like, or where we will be going. And So that was really when I began to learn about how in the world I could handle uncertainty and not just live in fear all of the time about being surprised. Because so often when we were moving, we found out, you know, one night and we moved the next day and we never knew to expect that. And, uh, and so I began to learn a lot about that. Uh, and and I think that's when I talk about living sure, even when the future is not, That's that was the process that God was teaching mm. me through and helping me learn to be fully invested in the day that I was living and um, live, live fully invested in the present and not afraid of the future, which again was a process and still is because that was what was interesting, maybe even more to me is that somehow I thought that when we finished in the NFL, life would become more certain. (laughs) And oh, by the way, I know you're laughing, Jill, because (laughs) in my little head, that uh, the uncertainty was in the NFL life. And then if we stepped out of that, we would live in one place and we wouldn't be surprised by moves and it would all kind of settle down. And that's just not true. And it's so what not. I realized is there, there isn't a certain life. There isn't a, a set of circumstances that will be sure no matter what. And I think for any of us that did kind of feel like maybe there was, 2020 mm-hmm. just busted that all up. So I think we're all very aware now that uh, there is no certain circumstance. And, uh, and so everything that God was teaching me during those years in the NFL so beautifully applied to life after the NFL. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, what you just said, I think applies to so many parts of life because we, you know, one of the things that we find, you know, because we're, we're so deep in marriage ministry. And so we're always uh, helping couples in crisis and how often people think if I make a circumstantial external change, it will change things for us. Mm-hmm. And it's like the only the only change that you can make that will change things for you are internal changes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nothing external. You can get, you can buy a new house. You can move to a new community. You can think that you're starting over. And I use that with air quotes because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, and, and when Mark shares his story and his, uh, his, contribution to the mess that we want, went through 10 years ago, he will often say, I thought this new relationship was the the right thing. And I was going to ride off in the sunset in something better. Mm-hmm. And then he'll say, but there's a problem. I took someone with me and that was me. And me was the challenge. Me was the problem. And so mm-hmm. oftentimes I think that it is a human experience to think that if I make an external change, then internal change will be experienced. And the truth is we got to start at the internal. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love that. I love that you just wrote a Bible study about fear, right? What, what's mm-hmm. the name of it? She smiles without fear and the, based on Proverbs 31. So it's Proverbs 31 for every woman. I love that. So we'll talk about that in just a little bit more, but um, I love that. So your ministry officially is called She Laughs Ministries. Tell me the story behind that name. Yes. So that is from Proverbs 3125. And depending on what translation you read, it will read a little bit different, but the translation that um, informed the name of the ministry says she is clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. And I grew up in the church. I knew I knew about the Proverbs 31 woman. I had been in Bible studies about the Proverbs 31 woman. To be, I'm just going to be totally transparent. I dropped out of a Bible study about the Proverbs 31 woman because <laughs> she, it was just too much. I was, I mean, I got three chapters in and I was like, yeah, there's no way I'll be able to reach this standard. I was a little discouraged and I just didn't want to feel so bad about myself. <laughs> and so... Um, I, the funny thing is I never remembered this verse in all of my years of knowing about the Proverbs 31 woman. I did not remember this verse. So as an adult, as a mother, I don't remember how many children I had at the time. I want to say I had all six by now and I'm reading again about the Proverbs 31 woman. I'm reading this chapter in my Bible and that verse grabbed me and I thought, wow, this sounds wonderful. Wouldn't it be great to be described like that? For someone to say, you know, for me to be able to say, I am clothed in strength and dignity and I laugh without fear of the future. And so um, I posted that, that online, that verse on, on, on a social media outlet. And what I found was um, this kind of recurring response from women that was Mm -hmm. like, wow, that does sound so wonderful. Too bad it it can't be real for me. And and they weren't necessarily saying that exactly, but that was the kind of the mm-hmm. consistent feeling from the comments. Yeah. And so really it was that, that just kind of sparked something that became She Laughs Ministries because I was very bothered 
that we as women in this century felt like we could not laugh without fear of the future, that it would have, it was impossible. And I just didn't feel like this portion of scripture was meant for a time other than ours. That mm-hmm. and that this woman, you know, that like you were explaining earlier, Jill, that somehow the external circumstances that that woman lived in allowed her to laugh without fear of the future, and we'll never live in those external situations. Mm. So we can't, and and I just felt like that can't be true, and mm-hmm. you know, you couple it with a lot of other scriptures, uh, and and I do not believe that God desires us to live in fear. And that was really what started the ministry. And and it turned into a conference where we go into local churches and we love to go into those local churches because it allows us to really connect in a a community that can Mm -hmm. remain once we leave. And obviously some things changed in 2020. And um, it's really been a blessing for the ministry because it's allowed us to get a little more creative in ways that Mm -hmm. we can serve women without having to necessarily be physically present with them. So we have some exciting things coming up this fall where we we hope to be able to get women in, in the truth of God's word and lead them to laugh without fear of the future. I love that. Where, do, where does fear come from? Because I, I really feel like fear and anxiety are very closely tied. Mm-hmm. And we have more anxiety in, in life, in teenagers, in um, middle schoolers, even children and adults. So where does fear and then the related anxiety, where does that come from? You know, I, I can speak. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. This is just what I've, what I have observed. I think that it can come from two in, in two ways. One I think is lived experience. We have experiences in our past that inform what we are afraid of today and for tomorrow because we have lived what I call a worst case scenario. And Mm -hmm. so when we have experienced something like that, I think it's natural to expect a worst case scenario again. And, And almost in anything we can imagine, we find the worst case scenario and almost expect it because we've experienced it. And, and in our reasoning, we think, well, if it happened before, it'll happen again. And whether that was something that was a direct experience or whether it was something that we walked very closely with through someone out with someone else who we love and we're very close to, I think it's just getting close um, to those real life worst case scenarios. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it may not even be something that we've experienced or that we've even walked through someone with. It might be that we hear it on the news over and over again, or it happened in our community. Or So sometimes it's just proximity and uh, or, or the amount of information that we continue to allow into our hearts and minds that will inform these, you know, fears of the future. And so that's, I think, one one reason why. And I think the other is just, you know, sometimes we like, some somehow we feel like if we fear the future, we might be more prepared for it. It's like we think we're running ahead of mm-hmm. the worst case scenarios mm-hmm. and we're getting it all straight so that 
if it happens, we're ready for it. And so I feel like it can come from either one. It doesn't even have to be something you've experienced or even heard about. But as a woman who loves, a lot of times it's connected to people we love. And we just feel like if we'll, what if every single scenario, what if this, what if this, what if this, and then we'll answer it, then we'll somehow be more prepared. And so we live afraid of the future and, and might not even realize it because we're just constantly, what if thing, what if this, what if this, what if this, what if that? And so I feel like those are kind of our two major mm-hmm. influencers in our fear. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. So. Um, if we begin to recognize it, how do we learn how to smile without fear? So I want to go back to the word process because I I don't think there's a simple, you know, take two Tylenol and you'll feel better in the morning kind of prescription (laughs) for this as much as we'd love that. In my life, it was such a process that began, and this is, In the Bible study, we talk about kind of five steps that we Mm -hmm. can apply to smile without fear of the future. Mm -hmm. And the first step is that I, to smile without fear, I need to spend less time doing and more time being with Jesus. Mm. And that can be difficult, especially when you are in stuck in your fear of the future. And like what I just talked about we feel like our best option when we face these fears of the future is to fix and arrange a future that makes them less likely. And so to think that to smile without fear of the future, we need to spend less time doing can feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. Like it's the opposite of it, of what we feel like we should be doing. Yes. And for me, um, activity can soothe my anxiety. I feel like I'm doing something good that will ease whatever, but my experience has just been that ultimately when we live in the presence of the Lord, fear has no place to grow. And so if we want to smile without fear, we have to live in the presence of our savior. And the only way we can do that is to spend less time doing and more time being with him. And so that really is a foundational piece of smiling without fear. And it doesn't, I want to make sure that I'm not misunderstood. I am not talking about, you know, two and a half hours a day where you shut your door and you turn off all of your responsibilities because you're, that's not what I mean. (laughs) Right. That can't, that is not realistic for most of us. But I think it is even in those moments when we are faced with, and so often it starts, like you said, Jill, internally. So we're, it's, it's something in our thoughts or it's something that it sets off emotions in our hearts. And it's in those moments when we might be inclined to go do something because of whatever we've encountered that we choose not to do, but to turn to Jesus and to spend even five minutes with him in prayer, uh, exalting him as Lord and holy and all powerful and in complete control. And we're positioning ourselves in the truth and reality of who he is before we do anything else. And um, it's not always the most 
uh, exciting step, but I think it can be the absolute most foundational one to smile without fear. Yes. Yes. You know, when I was a young mom, one of the things I did too, is I put a Bible in every bathroom Mm. because it was like, that was the one time that I could be alone for just a few minutes. And it was like, I needed that sustenance that would ground me because I felt like outside of the bathroom, things were like, a raging ocean, you know, and the waves were high. And then I would, you know, have just a few moments to myself. And it was like, I need something that's like a lifesaver or like, like a life jacket in the craziness or like a rock that I can put my feet on. And that would help me to also just get my focus in the right place. I love that. And I think um, the visual of that even being able to see that Bible there. Mm-hmm. And it's a reminder to grab on to yes. the, you know, the life jacket or stand on the rock, crawl up on that rock rather than bringing all of the waves in with you. And so that's your visual reminder to take, this is your moment to, to sit on that rock or, or grab that life jacket. You know, I've never thought about that, but you're right. I, I, when I would sometimes go into the bathroom, I wasn't thinking about getting my Bible. But then I would see it and then it would be like, oh, oh, I need to do that. Because sometimes we just get so caught up in what's going on that we lose that ability to move our eyes to where they need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never thought of it from that perspective, but you're right. So let's let's keep talking about some practical ways to fix our eyes on Jesus instead of the future. All mm-hmm. right. So, well, and. Because the Bible thing is fabulous. And I will tell you that I didn't put them in the bathrooms, but I would when I was, you know, my children were all still in the house, all six of us, all six of them. And then me, I would, I would also, I would leave my Bible out and open to what, so if I started my day in the word, I would leave it out and open like on the counter. Uh, as my again visual reminder, and I would have it open to the passage that I read. So I, even if, you know, what was funny is that even if I didn't have time to stop and read in that moment, it reminded me of what I had read before. So it took my mind and my thoughts from all of the things that were swirling in it in that moment and put them back on the truth, put them back on whatever, um, whatever I read in God's word that morning. Yes. And so it can be as simple as that. Um, one thing that I want to talk about when we when we talk about fixing our eyes on Jesus, um, there is a, a there's scripture in Hebrews twelve verse two, and it talks about let us run with endurance the race that is marked out for us, mm-hmm. and then it says we do this by fixing our eyes on Jesus. But what is really unique to me about the Greek word that is translated fixing our eyes on Jesus there is mm-hmm. that it implies the idea that in order to fix our eyes on Jesus, we have to turn them away from something else. Oh. And so I think that's a really important thing when we talk about practically fixing our eyes on Jesus, uh, because if our eyes are fixed on something else, we can't fix them on Jesus. So I think sometimes the practical first step is to begin to recognize where we already have our eyes fixed. Mm-hmm. And it can be, you know, Jill, I just love your analogy of the Bible in the bathroom, because I know this is, this might be TMI. 
but how many of us take our phones to the bathroom? Come on, you know? Uh-huh, right. I mean, what do we do? We scroll social media in the bathroom. <laughs> right, and that's what we're fixing our eyes on. And that's what we're fixing our eyes and on. And it's not necessarily helping us. Now, sometimes it might, if we like looked at the right account or the right meme and it, you know, gets, but but there's a risk that we're going to look at a lot of other stuff. Absolutely. And so that's a place that we might be fixing our eyes that we need to turn our attention away from in order to Mm -hmm. fix our eyes on Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, I think sometimes we can get in the habit of leaving the television on, just Mm -hmm. coming in and out of the room, doing our daily routine, and we have that television on. And whatever happens to be on that will catch the attention of our eyes for two, three, five, ten minutes at a time. And if it's a news feed, that you know you're that's scrolling a ticker at the bottom or if it's whatever it may be it can be it can be indulging the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or it can be feeding fears of the future mm-hmm. uh, or it can be feeding comparison whatever that is but that's just another place that we might be inclined to allow our eyes to be fixed that we can turn our eyes away from that and fix them on Jesus um Yes. Keeping in step with the bathroom analogy, one thing that we, I know, I, I, who knew we had so many I know. <laughs> but we did at my house when, you know, when the pandemic happened and all of a sudden there was so much uh, put on the amount of time that you spend washing your hands. Well, I don't know, Jill, if you are like this, but I, when I was growing up, I learned to sing happy birthday twice while I was washing my hands. And that would I would wash my hands long enough if I sang happy birthday twice. So mm-hmm. the pandemic happens and there's eight of us singing happy birthday twice every time we wash our hands. That got old really fast. So something that we did is we would print out a verse just on a piece of you know printer paper and mm-hmm. tape it on the mirrors next to our ba- uh, sinks. Oh, uh, I love the wall that. Next to the sink. And then instead of singing happy birthday, we would say out loud a scripture And depending on how fast, you know, we had different levels of readers, but maybe that's something that you, and, and there's something really great about speaking it because now you don't just see it, but you're also hearing it. And so is it, it is not complicated. It can be as simple as putting a verse. If it's by your sink, if it's on your dashboard and saying it out loud, and I would just encourage you to give it a try and see Mm -hmm if your fears of the future are lessened and your joy in the present increases, just speaking the word of God can have such an impact on your day. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Boy, I love that idea of putting it at the sink and that that's what you do to remind you to, you know, spend enough time washing your hands, but you're really using it for something good. Excellent. Yeah. You know, um, one of the, I once heard somebody say, and, and I often share this when I speak, is that we need to move our eyes off the mountain and onto the mountain mover. Mm-hmm. I once heard somebody say that worry is the worship of our circumstances. Mm-hmm. It's when we worship our circumstances. So really our circumstances become on the altar. They, they're on the altar and that's what we spend a lot of time with. And I remember during my dark season in my marriage, I had a friend that really challenged me. And she said, Jill, don't make saving your marriage an idol. And that was powerful because my eyes were more on the mountain 
than on the mountain mover. And I needed to put God back on the throne and take those things that I kept my eyes on that I was worrying about off. And, you know, Jill, when you bring that up, that's worry is the worship of our circumstances. That is, that's something that's very convicting and very powerful. And that reminds me of even something in prayer that we can Mm -hmm. do to flip that. And like you said, put God back on the throne. If we will commit when we pray to begin with worship of God. Mm-hmm. And which I mean, this is, this is what Jesus, this is how he answered when his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He, he which began is, with we our Lord's prayer. Yes. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That was, that's line one. That's the first thing that Jesus prayed when he was mm-hmm. teaching his disciples to pray. So if we will begin no matter, mm-hmm. and this is not to say that we don't have dire circumstances and that present themselves in our lives. We do. You, Jill, your, your marriage was important. It, it's mm-hmm. not dismissing right. the importance or even the urgency of some of right. our situations, but this is repeated in scripture by, by Kings in the old Testament. David modeled this when he prayed at times in the Psalms. And if we will begin and make the commitment to praise God first yes. before we bring our circumstances. We we are to cast our cares on him. The Bible tells us to do that. But when we start with praise and we start by exalting God, it is like the truth about God becomes a filter for our circumstances. Yes. And we see them differently. Our perspective changes because we are now filtering what we believe to be true about our circumstances by what is true about God. Yes. Yes. So, so powerful. And, you know, if you don't know how to do that, um, one of the best ways to do that is to just start your prayers with God, you are. Mm. Just God, you are. And then just fill in that blank. God, you are. Um, my protector. God, you are my defender. God, you are holy. Um, God, you are everywhere. Um, you know, if, if you don't know how to praise God, just fill that in. And that's really, that's the essence of praise. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's saying, I, I praise you because you are. Mm-hmm. And you know, those words, I praise you because if you open the Bible to the book of Psalms, you can probably find a Psalm or two or 10 that have those words in it. And so if you are even struggling with the God you are um, mm-hmm. and fill in the blank, then open the book of Psalms. When you begin your prayer, find a, a praise Psalm and read it out loud in prayer. And, and that can be a beginning yes. to practicing this. Mm-hmm. Yes. I remember years ago, this is a long, long time ago. Um, I did the study Experiencing God. And in the back of the Experiencing God workbook is like three pages of who God is. Mm-hmm. And I remember that was very eye-opening to me to be like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that God, this, you know, that he had so many roles and so many names. And mm-hmm. it was it was a really eye-opening mm-hmm. um study for me. And, um, I think I still, um, have, have that, that book that I have gone back to 
you know, over the years on several occasions. Powerful. This was so good. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. So much fun. Thank you for having me. Of course. So um, you have a free resource for our listeners. It's Mm -hmm. called Seven Prayers to Help You Smile Without Fear, right? Mm -hmm. So where can our listeners find that? You can go to my website, katiemccown.com, and it's K-A-T-Y-M-C-C-O-W-N.com, and it is right there for you at the top of the page, and uh, you just put in your email, and it'll come straight to your inbox. Perfect. And uh, we'll make sure and put a link to that in uh, the show notes as well, which you can always find over at jillsavage.org slash podcast. Katie, would you close us in prayer and just pray for those who want to move from fear to faith? Lord Jesus, um, we praise your name for who you are. You are Mm -hmm. so good and so faithful and your love endures forever. Yes. And you are a, a God who sees us and you are a God who cares deeply for us in spite of our sin and in spite of our, uh, our, our continued rejection of, of your good laws and commands. We, we are still loved by you and you still pursue us. And mm-hmm. we just praise you that um, you are seated on your throne and all things are from you and through you and to you. And we rejoice in that today. And God, for those um, who are listening, God, who who understand the grip of fear as, as I have in my life at times, God, I just pray in this moment that they will take a step of faith and spend less time doing and more time being with you, that they mm-hmm. will um, trust that you will supply all their needs and they can count on you. They can rely on you instead of themselves. And God, we just pray that as they desire to rely on you and to trust in you, that you will meet them where they are and that even in this very day, um, they will begin to see a shift in their lives and in their hearts as they seek to fix their eyes on you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so that you don't miss any future conversations. We also want you to know that we have three free eBooks for you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. You can also find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over at jillsavage.org slash podcast. See you next week for another not perfect, but very important conversation about the real stuff of life.